Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Amen. Well, good morning again. My name is Matt Friend. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center. It is great having you with us. Before we jump in, I want to take care of a couple of housekeeping items just to bring you up to speed on our series. Uh, we're in the middle of a series entitled Good News. We're looking at the good news of the gospel, and we're reminded that the good news of the gospel isn't something we do, it was something that was done for us. It's not good advice, but it is good news. Sometimes we're tempted to think that the gospel just happened in the past, or it was something that we believe in the past. But we're going to learn through this series that the gospel has past implications, present implications, and future. It is a big message that we find in the Bible from cover to cover. Also, sometimes we're tempted to think that the gospel is a me message. It's what God did for me. And that's true. God has done a lot for me, a lot for you. Uh, but it's also a we message. The gospel impacts the church and it's a cosmic message. The gospel is going to ultimately one day make all things new, a new heaven and the new earth. The gospel is that news of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do in the future. We want to equip you with as many resources as we can to help you study the gospel. And one of those ways is the core class. On our website, you can see, you can watch any of our core classes. I think this week, uh, Friday night's core class will be up. Uh, you can see that on the app. You can go to our YouTube channel. All of it's there. Feel free to watch those. Pastor Mike does a great job, especially in that gospel series. He takes these five movements, God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores, and he fleshes them out over hours and hours, over 10, uh, 12 weeks or so. I think you'll be blessed by it. Also on your outline, there's a lot of extra verses as you come into the service in 2019, hopefully you're going to see week after week a lot of extra verses, a lot of extra material. Don't get nervous. It doesn't mean we're going to cover all of it uh, into, in, in that particular service, but it gives you something to study as you go home, right along with the book recommendations. Well, this morning we're talking about sin breaks, the effects of sin on our hearts, on our church, on our friends, on our family, on the world. And I wanted to kind of let you know that we're going to end this service a little bit differently than we typically do. I love to end the service celebrating. Typically, we sing it out, we praise the Lord together, and then we go on our week. Well, today we're not going to do that. You're going to know that the service is going to end a little more abruptly. We're going to give you time to think about ways that you were broken. Think about your own sin to ask the Lord to bring your own sin to mind uh, as you have a time to meditate. And then we're going to take our offering and dismiss. So I want to let you know that it was on purpose. Uh, but again, today, we want to feel by God's grace the weight of our sin and the sin of the world uh, so that next Sunday when we talk about Jesus saves, it'll mean that much more to us and we'll be ready to receive the next three weeks. So if you'd go ahead and take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, you can follow along on the screens. I read from the NIV. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say 
you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the woman, to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, or angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, I want to begin by telling you about my first motorcycle, my actually only motorcycle. This is a picture of 1975 Yamaha Chappie, and I'll tell you the story of how I got it. 
Uh, my cousins lived in Illinois. They had motorcycles and dirt bikes. And every time we'd go out to visit, I, I envied them. I wanted to have something like this. Many of my friends in the neighborhood had motorcycles or dirt bikes or mopeds. And I wanted to at least try to be able to keep up. So one Thanksgiving, I was probably 10 or 11, maybe 12, my dad told me that my uncle and aunt were coming in from Illinois and they had a surprise for me. I honestly had no idea this was what was in the back of their van. I had no idea. And so I can remember just waiting for them to arrive. It's funny how like certain memories, certain big moments in your life, even as a kid, just stick in your memory. I can still remember the cold uh, glass looking out, waiting for him to show up when I was looking out the glass door. I can remember the breath on the door, just like every time you, you breathe, you can no longer see. And so you've got to wipe it off. And finally, my uncle and aunt pulled up. They backed up our driveway, which they typically didn't do. So I knew something was up. And my cousins jump out and they open up the back of that van. And here was my very own motorcycle. Well, sort of, kind of like a motorcycle. Now, this thing was, was my symbol of freedom. To me, it represented I could go anywhere. I was no longer bound by the simple bicycle, but now I could keep up. I could take my tools and go and, and work in people's yards and mow grass and things like that. It also uh, was, it was, it was just pretty cool to have. It was bright yellow. It was uniquely built, uniquely created. Uh, Yamaha only built them for, I believe, a couple years to keep up with a similar model that Honda had produced. It was made to be able to go off-road or on-road. So it was uniquely built, but it, my particular Yamaha was uniquely broken. It looked nothing like this. It had duct tape all over the seat. That nice black seat, mine was silver because of duct tape. The little kick uh, starter had been torn off before I got it. And so you, the only way to start it was to take off down the street running beside it or go down a hill and then hope you jump on. Sometimes you didn't do it and you had to start over. After a while, the thing, as it got a little older, you had to spray some starting fluid pull out the, the spark plug, spray some starting fluid in it. Anyway, it was uniquely created and at the same time, it was uniquely broken. In a lot of ways, we're like this Yamaha. We are uniquely created, all of us are, and we are uniquely broken. And that's the main point I wanna communicate today. That's what I want you to believe. It's what I want you to know and be convinced of. We are all uniquely created and uniquely broken. If you are a student, this applies to you. You're uniquely created and you're uniquely broken. If you're a young professional, it applies to you. You're uniquely created and you're uniquely broken. If you're a senior saint, it applies to you. If you're married, if you're single, uh, if you're a seeker, a skeptic, or a longtime Christian, this still applies to you. If you work for CAMC, the DMV, or BCC, this still applies to you. We are all uniquely created and uniquely broken. Now, maybe you're asking, what's the big deal about this? Why take a whole sermon just to teach this one truth? Well, I believe it's, it's beyond important. I mean, it's so important that, that the rest of the series won't make any sense if we don't believe this truth. As a matter of fact, in order to understand the world, it's important that we believe this truth. Why do bad things happen in the world? Why are there tsunamis? Why are there earthquakes? Why are there hurricanes? 
it all centers on what we're going to talk about today. To understand the people around you, the people in your church, the people in your family, the people with whom you work, it all centers on this truth. Without this understanding, everybody's going to let us down. Everybody. We're going to live life so frustrated that the world's not giving us what we want and our family's not giving us what we want. Without this understanding, we won't be able to truly understand ourselves. You see, if we think that there's a spark of divinity within us and that we're just one step away from being God, then every day you will live grossly disappointed. And the people around you already are grossly disappointed if they think that's what they should expect of you. But over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores. And so if we don't believe this truth, this is how the next three weeks are going to go. You're going to hear me say, Jesus saves, and you're going to go, so what? You're going to hear me say, Jesus transforms, and you're going to go, so what? Jesus one day is going to restore, and you're going to go, so what? What is the big deal? This is the big deal. And if we understand this, then the next three weeks won't come soon enough because Jesus saves us from sin, he transforms us from sin, and one day he'll restore us from our existence of sin. We are all uniquely created and uniquely broken. Let's go ahead and jump in. It moves quickly. Number one, like Adam and Eve, we were created to be spiritual. Like Adam and Eve, we were created to be spiritual. We were created to be uniquely spiritual, if you want to write that word in. This is one of the ways that we are created in the image of God. To be created in the image of God is multifaceted, but one way is that we have the ability to converse with God on a spiritual level. We can pray, we can worship, we can hear him speak to us. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God by nature is spiritual. We were created in his likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, this is important, into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So there's more to us than meets the eye. We were created, literally received the breath of God. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom. We have a golden doodle. His name is Queso. I probably talk about him far more than I should, uh, but he's my buddy. Now, Queso, I love him, but I've never walked down the stairs in the morning and seen Queso reading his Bible and praying for his friends, right? I, I've never seen Queso like pr- pr- make a prayer request at dinner asking the Lord to help him be more obedient to his family. Like I've never heard him do that. I wish he would. Life would be a whole lot better if he would. But he doesn't do that because he doesn't have the capacity to do that. He's not spiritual like we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 there, it's in your outline. Solomon reminds us that God put eternity in our hearts. We were created to be uniquely spiritual. But we're also created to be uniquely physical. 
Back in Genesis 2-7, we see that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. So we already know that literally we were created from the elements of the earth, uh, which fits what science tells us, at least in the composition of our bodies. But we also see the same thing about Eve. It says in Genesis 2-21 through 24, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Notice how many times words of just flesh and physical are used. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. For God, the elements of the periodic table are his paint, and the world is his paintbrush. God loves the physical world. You see, this is what separates us from many of the religions of the world who teach that or even insinuate that the physical is bad, but the spiritual is good. But the Bible says God, God loves the physical. Eyes were his idea. Arms were his idea. Sex was his idea. We were created to be physical creatures. And one day in the new heaven and the new earth, we are going to receive new physical bodies. There's never a time for eternity when Jesus returns that we will ever again have to live without a body. God loves the physical we see thirdly that God created us to be intellectual. We're uniquely intellectual. This is another way we're created in the image of God. Now, we have an intellect. We have a memory. We have a will. I love in Genesis 2 where it tells us that God asked Adam to name all the animals. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So I'll ask you the question. If you have a pet, do pets have an intellect? Yes or no? Do pets have an intellect? Sure, most of them do. Maybe not all of them, most of them do. Yeah, they have an intellect, right? They can think. Whenever I take the jar off the peanut butter, it doesn't matter where, where Queso is in the house, he knows I'm taking the jar off the peanut butter. He has a bell that he rings to go to the bathroom, right? It's the coolest thing ever. We think he's like one of those Jurassic Park velociraptors. Like he's gonna like one day turn the handle and he's gonna come in and eat us or something. Um, they... they Pets can be very, very smart. Maybe not if you have cats, but if you've got dogs, pets can be very... Just kidding. Just, just kidding. Yeah, okay. Get an email for that. But God created us with an intellect unlike anything else in creation. God created us to be emotional. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, he created us to be emotional. This is another way we're created in God's image. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God gets angry. 
God experiences joy. God grieves. God loves. God is sad. God is happy. These emotions are all found in the character of God. And so this is another way, being made in the image of God. There is no like one silver bullet, right? There's several ways. It's like looking at a diamond. It's multifaceted. We're, we're created as emotional creatures, just like God is a created, as excuse me, as God is an emotional person. I'm thinking of a volleyball game recently, one of our last volleyball games of the year that our youngest daughter played. And in that moment, they lost. They didn't end up going to the state championship. And so I, as a father, was sad, right? We were sad. At the same time, I could be sad. I was also excited that I have a daughter out there playing volleyball. At the same time, I'm joyful that I get to sit beside my wife for the evening and watch our daughter play. At the same time, I'm anxious because, you know, there's a gym full of boys, right? And you got daughters and you're constantly anxious about that stuff. So as a human, we experience all these different types of emotions at once, which is a beautiful picture of the complexity of the way God created us. Next, we see God created us to be social. God created us to be social, just like he is. We're created in his image. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, 17, and 18, that God by nature is social. For in eternity past, Jesus says that the spirit loves the son, the son loves the father, the father relates to the spirit. And in eternity past, there's been this community within the Godhead. Now, somewhere along the way in Sunday school, I was taught that God created us because he was lonely. God was in heaven, they said. He's lonely and finally he just needed somebody to talk to. And so he, little Matthew, he made you. And boy, that made me feel special. Man, God made me because he needed somebody to talk to. Well, God does enjoy talking with us and conversing with us, but he didn't make us because he was lonely. There is no verse in the entire Bible that teaches that. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches something completely opposite. In the book of Acts, we learn that God needed nothing. Think of that couple or maybe that friend or that family or those coworkers that you enjoy hanging out with on a Friday night. People you laugh with, people you can have fun with, people you can party with. Imagine for eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit laughing and enjoying one another like that. That is the community within God. So when God created us, he didn't do so out of a, a lack. He did so, as Pastor Mike said Friday night, he did so out of abundance. He shared his love. He shared his fellowship with us. And there again is another way we are created in the image of God. This is why we have pets. This is why we join Facebook. This is why we're a part of clubs and fraternities and societies and sororities. Even our sexuality is evidence of our need for social connection. We feel most alive when we're in relationship with other people. God created us to be social. And lastly, God created us to be cultural. 
God created us to be cultural. The Garden of Eden had geographical boundaries. The book of Genesis says we don't know what those boundaries are in present day because the flood probably changed all the boundaries, but it had boundaries. Most scholars believe that the Garden of Eden was probably the size of Yellowstone National Park. We don't know that for sure, but it just from the dimensions that he gives in Genesis 1 and 2. But notice what he says in Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. So creation is what God makes. Culture is what we make from his creation. Creation is what God makes, but culture is what we make from his creation. So think of kids taking building blocks and putting them all together in different order. We have the opportunity as we're building culture to do that. But the elements themselves were created by God. That's why we love art. That's why we love cooking. That's why we love technology. Whatever your hobby is, whatever you do for a living, somehow or another, it stems back to Genesis 1.28. God made us to get stuff done. You know that feeling you get on a Friday night, maybe a Saturday night in the summer? You've been out all day. You've been mowing. You've been weed eating. Man, you got the yard looking really, really good. Now, several of the people on my street go to church here, and so they know that I don't often take pride in that like maybe you do. I mow my grass once every couple months, whether it needs it or not. Um, I don't weed eat, but like twice a year, I've really got to get it together, right? The whole testimony thing. I really got to get it together. But I do know the feeling when I finally weed eat and I finally mow and man, the yard's looking great. And you've got dirt underneath your fingernails and you, you come in and man, you're tired and you're hungry. And it just feels good. Like you got something done that day. Well, the reason we feel that is because we have a, this residue of the Garden of Eden still in our hearts. We were made to take dominion. You see, Adam and Eve were commissioned to expand the boundaries of the Garden of Eden until it covered the entire earth. You see, Genesis tells us the Garden of Eden didn't cover the entire earth, but they were to expand the boundaries, take dominion. We were created for this culturally. So all of these elements fit together. We call this peace or shalom. It all fit together. It wasn't like Adam and Eve had like physical time and then they had emotional time and then they had, you know, intellectual time. No, it was all one for them. But something happened. Something went very, very wrong. And we read about it in Genesis chapter three. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve chose to sin and broke everything. When Adam and Eve sinned, number two, they broke everything. Take a few minutes with me and watch this video and let's imagine how bad it really was.
first humans to ever sin were Adam and Eve. They weren't the first to ever sin in the universe because Satan obviously sinned before Adam and Eve, but they were the first humans to sin. And when we think about sin, often our minds go to law breaking, but just in the couple minutes we have left, I want to challenge you to think of sin this way as law making more than law breaking. Here's what I mean. God came to Adam and Eve and he said, you can have everything in the garden. You can eat from any of the trees in the garden. But of all the trees, there's one I'm commanding you, do not eat. So they had everything at their disposal. But what did Satan tempt Adam and Eve to do? He questioned the authority of God. And it wasn't just that they broke an arbitrary law. It wasn't law breaking as much as it was law making. You see, they decided they could make the rules. Has God really said or does God really know? And that's exactly what happens to us when we sin. It's not so much that we just choose to break the laws, but subconsciously we want to make the laws. God tells us in his word that when Adam and Eve sinned, shalom, peace was broken. It was crushed. 
We don't know the specifics of, of what exactly, what it was like outside the Garden of Eden, what effect Satan perhaps had had outside of the Garden of Eden. But we do know that within the Garden of Eden, it was perfect harmony and perfect shalom, and that was only going to expand. But instantly, God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And today, we still walk outside the Garden of Eden and so if CNN interviews you and asks you, why did the tornado happen? Why did the earthquake happen? Why is there cancer in the world? You can respond with an answer from Genesis 3. Because shalom, peace is gone. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 is very, very specific. I'm going to ask you to think about this with me. God says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, literally, the day that you eat from it, you will surely or certainly die. Did Adam and Eve physically die the moment they sinned in the Garden of Eden? Did they physically die at that moment? No, they didn't. So what could Genesis 2.17 possibly mean? Certainly, they would eventually die. We know that they had more children. They lived to a ripe old age, but they physically died. But there's something else going on here. And Paul tells us what it is in Romans 5.12. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. This is a spiritual death. All the great things about humanity that we talked about earlier, all the ways that God created us unique, we find that we're all broken through and through. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Like Adam and Eve, we are all broken spiritually. We were uniquely created spiritually, but we're also broken spiritually. Here's some questions as we finish for you to ask yourself. How is my peace with God broken? How is my peace with God broken? Do you ever feel like something is missing in the world? You ever feel like you almost get to that perfect day or that perfect moment and then it just seems to leave you as fast as it came? I feel that way on vacation a lot. You go on vacation, you're having a great time. Man, it's wonderful. Then the end of vacation comes and you're almost like more depressed than when you started because there's something within you that's like, man, this is going to be great. And it is great. And then it, but it just doesn't ultimately fulfill. We feel that way about our careers. Our careers are fulfilling and we get to do what God made us to do, but there's something that just doesn't totally fulfill. We feel that way about money. We plan and we put away for our retirement, but when that comes, there's just still something that doesn't fully satisfy. Romance can't fully satisfy. Fame can't fully satisfy. Power, comfort, social involvement. It, it seems to almost get us there, and then we fall short. It's like what J.R.R. Tolkien said. He was a follower of Jesus. He wrote, certainly there is an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it, and we are constantly glimpsing it, like on vacation. Our whole nature, at its, least, at its best and least, is corrupted. Its gentlest and most humane is still soaked with a sense of exile. 
We are spiritually broken. Now, if you have any question about whether or not you're spiritually broken, let's look at this verse. We see it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, 19, 20, and 21. See if you can find any way you sinned in here in 2018. Did you sin in any of these ways in 2018? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Keep that slide there for a moment. Let's go back. Did you sin in any of those ways in 2018? Don't raise your hand. Just answer it in your heart. Now let's go to the next slide, the rest of the verse. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now if you look at that list, probably if I ask for a raise of hands, how many of you did one of these things in 2018 likely most of us would raise our hand and say, I'm in that list in at least one place, okay? You say, well, that's pretty good, Pastor. If I only got one, I mean, you listed like 20. I've only got one out of 20. We feel like we're doing well until we see James 2.10. And James 2.10, James was Jesus's half-brother. And he says, whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of all of it. So this is what I'm saying today. This is what I want you to feel. If you've ever sinned in any way, you are just as sinful and just as broken as anybody else on the face of the earth. You say, come on, man, that's just not that bad. I didn't write the Bible. Jesus wrote the Bible, right? And even if we do well in that list, there's other lists. On Friday night at the core class, I left... I don't know. I mean, I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I've just never thought about sin in this way. Think about this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many of you did everything this week to the glory of God? Every single moment. I'm like, good night. I don't think about that nearly as much as I should. Or what about this verse? Colossians tells us, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This week, I have not given a lot of thanks. My wife had surgery on Wednesday. She's doing well. She's going to be kind of out of commission for two weeks and then really four weeks before she can do any kind of heavy lifting. And so she's healing, doing well, but she's got to lay uh, most of the time. And I tell you what, this past week, something happened in my heart I didn't expect, this sense of ungratefulness. For the first time in probably three years, I had to change the sheets on a bed. I I didn't purposely sit out and say, now that I'm a senior pastor, I'm not going to change sheets on the bed. Sarah just takes care of everything at home. I don't have to think about anything. Well, I had to change the sheets on the bed. And the whole time I'm changing the sheets on the bed... I'm not going to tell you what I said and thought, but they weren't very scriptural. I'm like, why am I going to do this? And I'm, what are those corners anyway? And I'm just, do you really got to stuff them under the mattress? And I'm not very happy about it. And then I had to do a load of laundry. Now, again, I used to do laundry all the time. The kids were little in college, all that, but something happened the last three years. Sarah's taking care of everything. And now she's laying and I'm doing loads of laundry and I'm throwing the laundry in and I'm just not very happy. One more thing. I had to clean... (laughs) 
This is my counseling session. I'll pay you all later. I had to clean Nutella out of a, like a plastic container for one of the kids. And, and they do great. They help with everything. But I had to clean Nutella. Have you ever tried to clean Nutella out of a container? It's like half concrete, half super glue with some brown looking substance in it. You can't get it out. Like you can spray it with a power washer. It won't come out. I've not been very happy. And so this week, the weight of this message has been on me. You see, here's this thought. If you think that only half of the cross was needed to save you, you may not be a Christian. If you think that, well, you could earn your way part way to God, you weren't that bad. You weren't as bad as the guy next to you. But, but thankfully, Jesus still died. And so what, what needed to be left over, he paid that price. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that we are miserably broken. Every one of us. That's why we need a savior and when we grasp that truth, it changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we see our coworkers. It changes the way we see our family. We're no longer let down because we have the right perspective. If you're filling out your outline, I'll give these to you. We're, we're broken spiritually. We're broken physically. We're broken physically. How is my body broken? You can answer that question yourself. We bear the results of sin in our bodies. We live in a broken world. How is my intellect broken? You ever used your mind to design ways to cover up your sin? You ever like had to do 10 layers to cover your tracks so nobody found out what you were really? Our minds are incredible, but they're also incredibly broken. Our emotions, we're broken in our emotions. How are my emotions broken? Uh, we're broken socially. We have relationship issues all the time. We just do. It's, it's, unfortunately, we're going to talk more about how God can transform us, but it's the world we live in. We're broken culturally. We, even Christians, contribute to the brokenness in the culture of the world. That's for another day and for another sermon. Here's what I want to remind you of. We are all uniquely created and uniquely broken. We're all uniquely created and uniquely broken. Here's what I want you to do just for a minute before we leave. Cindy Mullenix is going to come and she's going to sing a song called Mistakes. I want you to take just a minute and think through ways that you're broken. Ask the Lord to start that conversation with you this week. Think through ways that you're broken and all the ways that we mentioned. And then we'll dismiss with prayer after our offering in a moment. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach to brothers and sisters. And Lord, this is probably by far been the most depressing sermon for which I've studied, but perhaps the most helpful for all of us. I pray that you would help us to see the cross bigger next week when we talk about Jesus saves because we see our sin deeper. And Lord, as Cindy sings and as we take a minute to meditate, speak to our hearts, show us ways and areas where we are still living out our sinful nature. And God, I pray that you would prepare us for the next three weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.